Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now here's your host, Tom Singer. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you so much for being here and for supporting this podcast that is now over six years and 600 plus episodes strong. Before we get started, I have to thank one of our sponsors of today's episode, and that is Spectrum Reach. At Spectrum Reach, they make local business big and big brands look local. Advertise on every screen with that one big idea you need that will turn consumers into new customers. They're the most trusted media partner in America, and they are also your neighbors. Welcome to Spectrum Reach. Go visit them at SpectrumReach.com to get started. So today, uh, we're going to talk about the pharmaceutical industry, but really we're going to talk about every industry and how do you make waves and how do you shake things up. Today's guest is a little bit of a renaissance man. He does a lot of things. He started his career. He is a pharmacist by uh, degree. He started his career working for big pharma companies, things like AstraZeneca, etc. He's had a lot of roles uh, working with them, but also then he went to smaller companies where he authored a bunch of ideas and concepts that really had an impact on helping those smaller pharma companies really grow. He also has his own business. He still works for a company. And on top of all of that, he coaches others at a company called All Out Coach, showing people in that industry and probably some others how to really make waves, which is why I wanted to talk to Tim today. So please welcome, if you will, Tim Mikolashvili. Tim, welcome to Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you, Tom. Pleasure to be here. Glad, glad to have you. So why don't you give everybody a little bit uh, more of your background? So you, you went to school to be a pharmacist. Uh, what was your thought behind doing that? Where did you think you would go? And then uh, take us to where you are today. Sure, sure. I was trained as a pharmacist in New Orleans. So I went to the south from the northeast many years ago. Uh, we weren't exposed to many options in the pharmaceutical industry. But I was uh, interested in why products were recalled. Why was it that we had many medications that then ended up not being as safe as we thought? And so I wanted to uh, work in the pharmaceutical industry to change that, to bring safer products to the market, more effective products. And so in New Orleans, I d- expressed an interest in, uh, in this career path which wasn't the most popular path in, in, in that region or in my college of pharmacy, Xavier College of Pharmacy, which I do want to uh, mention, uh, which I owe uh, a lot to, uh, to that program. And they created a new rotation there. And uh, fast forward many years, uh, that rotation at Abbott, where I went from New Orleans, the warm, humid New Orleans to cold uh, Chicago, where I didn't see sunlight from December to March, I learned a lot, and I think that um, uh, played an important impact in shaping my career. Uh, so I started then um, working at Sanofi Aventis, Sanofi Aventis, went through a hostile takeover, uh, but learned a lot. Uh, I you know, mentored somebody new to help replace me because I had a one-year position without a job lined up myself. 
Uh, I remember spending hours in my cubicle after work trying to convince this particular fellow who was extremely polished to take my spot afterwards, despite that fellowship, despite the merger, uh, because it was so valuable. And she has ended up being uh, a an executive um, at a large company. Uh, so I've worked at AstraZeneca, Sanofi, Aventis, and um, also have seen a lot of companies success, fail, um, and but you know helped really uh, learn and teach within my medical affairs uh, function. And medical affairs being a little bit different, where we provide the information to the physicians, to the experts that's necessary for them to identify the right patients for the right treatments, uh, and also we engage them, these experts, these cutting edge scientists in, in, in our market and research development activities. But much too often, you don't hear as much about medical affairs. You hear more about sales and marketing. You hear more about research and development. So we're kind of like that drumbeat, you know, uh, in the background of the song of science, if you will. So, yeah, I mean, you don't, you know, I've never thought about the pharmaceutical companies really having a department for that. I hear you do hear a lot about sort of how they sell, how, you know, people knock on the door, talk to the receptionist, try to get to the doctor, etc. Tell us a little bit more about what that medical affairs, what is that job all about? Yeah, medical affairs is uh, really communicating the science, communicating the science and being a liaison between those better known research and development and commercial parts of the organization, where we have to critically be able to analyze the medical information, the literature, the gaps as well. And, and for that, you really need a medical background. You need to be driven by science. You need to have a scientific curiosity. So it's somewhere between, it's somewhere between being a bench scientist and being a sales rep, yet helping impact, impact uh, uh, medicine and impact patients' lives at the, you know, at the end of the day. So you have people who uh, also monitor safety, for safety and pharmacovigilance, for example, who monitor adverse reports and those recalls, and they avoid uh, them to, to happen in the first place, but then when they do, they re- we report them. So it's a very important function overall to give you a... So you mentioned that when you were with some of these smaller companies, some of the, the ideas and concepts you came up with actually helped drive the company forward. What type of ideas and concepts does one come up with in your role for a pharma company? Yeah, so I've, I've never been a bench scientist. I've never had that, exp- that training. I've been a PharmD and I've uh, learned how to critically evaluate publications uh, and uh, a complex set of data. Uh, and uh, I had a lot of uh, experience working in a GI company, which was the largest GI company in the world that had grown exponentially within a very short period of time. That was called Salix at the time before it was acquired by Valiant. And I had brought that GI experience to a small startup, which had nevertheless a next generation product, only had one adverse event in its uh, package insert in its prescribing information. Um, uh, and it had a very interesting mechanism of action. It was kind of like an organic medication. It was naturally occurring. You know, um, it was a, it was an analog of a human, uh, of an endogenous hormone, a hormone. And uh, uh, the company, however, did not uh, have the best direction, did not all, was not always aligned. Uh, I was called in to restructure the company's culture there as well. Uh, where we they wanted to keep the company small um, and didn't really want to 
uh, didn't want, want to make waves, <laughs> right? Um, as 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 your podcast, uh, the title of your podcast, but they wanted necessarily to have that company culture initiative. But in terms of how people walked the talk, in terms of the operational experience, in terms of the strategy, that there wasn't a lot of clarity. Company was. You know, going just uh, was just uh, was it was it was failing. It was failing, and it ended up being a failure. But you learn you learn so much from even working in a failure. Where there was a concept that I had proposed, which was a very bold concept at the time, uh, to analyze the data, analyze the literature that was missing, missing uh, some an update, you know, an update and it was missing uh, uh, a, a methodology, the methodology that uh, can, can, could help really make a, an important conclusion for, for physicians and a more a simpler conclusion that they could apply to their patients or how can they really compare this next generation product with the one that's all over the TV, for example, right? So I wanted to just update the medical literature, but it was a risky move. It was a risky move. And I remember that, you know, I remember receiving comments like this is a waste of time, you know, and, uh, and I had to wait, you know, I had to wait for the right moment for the company actually to release more data for that, you know, uh, that large company that was all over the news. But nevertheless, it was one of the most pivotal moments in my career and why I started coaching and why I started my all out coach blog and podcast, Tom, because, uh, it ended up ter- giving hope to a small specialty company, startup company. It didn't turn the company around, but a lot of the people in the field organization, the sales, they, uh, they wrote me messages. They wrote me emails. Thanks, Tim. Thank you for re-energizing the company. And that energy is what I'm trying to really bring back to medical affairs and to my industry. Because I think we can take a lead in medical affairs in reclaiming that trust and that reputation in the pharmaceutical industry. One small solution, one small application, you know, uh, a late-breaking abstract, as was the case uh, in that global meeting, um, you know, that ended up increasing that st- stock price for the first time in months. It was short-lived, but it nevertheless mm-hmm. gave that hope, gave that energy but the, comp- the comp- product is still around, by the way. It's called TrueLance, but the company is no longer around. Uh, and so, so the pharmaceutical industry, you know, gets put under a microscope for a lot of different reasons. Um, you know, you talk about trying to, to work on company culture. I would imagine some of these giant pharmaceutical companies, you know, I, I would imagine like all big companies, some of them have big bureaucracies and turning them is like a big battleship, very slow to turn. And yet in the world we live in, uh, you know, there's a lot of focus on on COVID and on the back possible vaccines. Uh, how does all of this impact the pharmaceutical business in general? Yeah, uh, the pharmaceutical industry, I think, is taking an incredible lead uh, right now in, in COVID. It's making a lot of efforts. Uh, we know that people are going to be uh, always need medications. Uh, so uh, the industry uh, you know, is in demand and it will always be in demand, but it's how it reacts to reality and not just perceptions of reality and how it is able to address the patient's journey, really, and the patient outcomes to make sure that a lot of these great discoveries are not only made in the lab and in the clinical trial setting, but they actually reach the offices and actually are ones that 
patients can access. So pharmaceutical companies are now, uh, you know, focusing in on patient outcomes, on uh, on how different stakeholders like the insurance companies, like you know, managed uh, managed care, is able to help them access that access those medications. So with with COVID, with COVID nineteen, I think there's a lot of progress. There's it's we're now living under a lot of uncertainty, um, but you know the pharmaceutical companies are trying to pivot, and they're they're doing their best in in uh, researching and really having empathy for physicians for patients as well. Um, but uh, it's it really is going to take a strong leadership and uh, a lot of transparency, I think, and really. Um, being aligned uh, in terms of medical, being aligned with research, with sales, in uh, addressing the patient's journey, uh, you know, in the in the future, particularly after COVID. So I have a theory. If we look back to the 1960s and the space race, so much of what was learned through NASA's research to be able to send a man to the moon and do so much impacted everything that came afterwards when it comes to communications, when it comes to technology and computers. Uh, so much of that had its birth back in the space race. I think with all the attention that's being given to trying to come up with a vaccine for COVID-19, they're going to accidentally stumble upon a lot of good things that might be for other types of diseases and other types of infectious uh, diseases because so much manpower and brain power is being put into this COVID situation at all of the pharmaceutical companies. I uh, have a family friend who works in a company that does pharmaceutical company that does research around brain issues. And mm -hmm. at least that's what he, what he does is uh, genetic brain disease research. And they're researching COVID. It's not what they normally do, but everybody has their best scientists looking at this. And we know that a lot of drugs that have come out have been accidents. They've been researching problem X and in the trial, they find out it cures problem Y. So I think the pharmaceutical industry is going to have a huge boom of new discoveries uh, after we get on the other side of COVID from all this research that they're doing. Uh, what, what do you think? Absolutely. I think you uh, make uh, important uh, remarks there that are universal, that are universal, and they're so true in, in research and development. Um, I know a, a researcher who, a geneticist, personally, Jean-Laurent Cosanova, who works at Rockefeller University. And I've gotten to know him when I used to work at Baxalta, a great startup that spun off of Baxter and that grew very quickly before it was acquired by Shire. And uh, he is responsible for identifying uh, almost 70, about 70 of the 270 uh, rare primary immunodeficiencies. And during COVID, I actually contacted him and I interviewed him uh, and I'm, he's, I'm inter I interviewed him with the question of basically understanding what, what confers severe versus mild form of disease in patients with COVID. And now we're learning about this uh, particular inter interferon, the presence of this interferon that's been published in the science uh, uh, just recently, uh, that it actually attacks uh, our immune system uh, and therefore deactivates its response uh, to, uh, to a novel virus such as this one, right? And th that, that may 
really differentiate why it is that some patients develop very severe forms of the disease. And I have a, co- a cousin of mine who's a uh, who actually has a PhD in genetics. She just came down with a very severe case. She was hospitalized twice, Tom. She works in the pharmaceutical industry. She's a vice president of regulatory affairs. She's worked at large companies before. She has no predisposing conditions at all, no asthma or anything like that. Yet she was hospitalized twice, was out of breath. Only on day nine, she's starting to feel a little bit better. So I'm currently awaiting these responses from Jean-Laurent Casanova. Uh, I'm going to be publishing them on LinkedIn. He has given me the rights to do that. Uh, and uh, I, I hope to, I hope that, you know, there will be a lot of new information that we will learn. And we have already learned quite a lot as, you know, medicine is somewhat of an art. Everyone interprets the, all the physicians. They know how to interpret a lot of that data clinically. They have to experiment. And, you know, it's, I also make an analogy with, um, with the culinary world a little bit, right? Some of the most memorable, the best recipes actually start from mistakes. Also, just like I think you were uh, referring to, I think, and allude to, um, the best chefs will tell you that. So, uh, so yeah, hopefully we learn, we, we come up with a lot of new, <laughs> new great recipes and, and medications from mistakes. So what advice do you have for leaders, whether they're in the pharma industry or another industry? What advice do you have for them for navigating uncertain and interesting times and, and how to make waves and go forward? Sure. I think that, first of all, it's really about uh, the others, the people whom you are trying to lead. Give, give a direction. Give direction. Give one direction, not one dimension. Uh, don't hold people accountable to one dimension alone, but be more transparent in terms of the direction you give. Try to uh, incorporate, give a sense of belonging to people that you are trying to lead. Create other leaders. You're not a leader until you are. Uh, you create another leader. So having that authority, having that title is important, but you have to be open-minded and also balance that with some warmth and some energy and some empathy. I think COVID has taught us all that we're starting from clean from a clean slate now. Regardless, you know, it, COVID does not really differentiate between age, between right, between our background or anything like that. And I think it has awakened us. We have to wake up to our transformation. I have a YouTube video on that, Wake Up to Transformation on All Out Coach YouTube that I shot in December of 2019, where I called on the leaders in the pharmaceutical industry to, and leaders in general, to really become a little bit more globally correct rather than politically correct also. Because I think that's what uh, COVID has taught us as leaders that we have to we have to acknowledge the fact that the lines between countries between our uh, between our regions our states are now blurred more blurred than ever right we have access to more information than ever before so what what's happening in south korea or somewhere else may also be happening in in new orleans in new york uh, you know wherever where we are so I think that we need, and that's, uh, I, I think that we have to have a little bit of a global perspective, a warmer perspective that's empathetic, uh, and that's, uh, that also gives direction. I think I would, that's what I would summarize my, some of my, uh, you know, advice. So Tim, I've got a couple of more questions for you, but first I have to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this episode, like all of them, is brought to you by Podfly Productions. 
Podfly, they take the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing people who are making waves, like Tim. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So, Tim, you mentioned that you have this coaching company that you're starting and growing, and it sounds like you're going to be working with a lot of people in in pharma, but it also sounds like maybe beyond pharma. What led you to want to go from sort of this medical affairs focus in life to coaching other people on how to be successful? Where, Where was that jump? I think that, you know, throughout my career, even when I was beginning, you know, my career, uh, I knew how to incorporate many lessons from life to work. I didn't always define or actually I never defined myself as the role that I was given. So in All Out Coach, what I want to do is I want to transgress differences between people. I want to transgress boundaries, extend the boundaries that that people have of their roles and their abilities. Uh, because I think that I've been able to do that. I speak four languages, you know, I, uh, and I taught myself. Uh, okay. And, I, know, I have to ask, what are the yeah. four languages we've got? We've got sure. English. What are the other three? English. My native is Georgian. I also speak Russian and I speak Italian fluently as well. Nice. Uh, yeah. So those are the four languages and just the language I think alone un- unlocks an important uh, insight, a, a, you know, a, a depth that is just uh, unparalleled into someone's life, right? Because you can you can really connect with someone with two ways, I think, through uh, the language and through probably religion, like as an identity, right? You can't assume all the really you can't learn all the religions of the world, but you can surely learn some languages. And language alone, I've noticed, has helped helped unlock that you know door, um, you know, incredibly. I have many stories uh, that I can I can share with you personally about that, but uh, the all-out coach in general is a is a something that is the very personal to me. It's an all-out perspective. That's a progress, not an all-in uh, all-in, which is kind of an episode like at a poker table. And that's why I'm I love the buzzwords. There's many great buzzwords, but you know I want to um, I want to inspire people to. And go all out more often, right? And to to I want to create a platform that people can have to inspire them to to extend the boundaries that they they feel that they may be within, right? And uh, I mean, I started it two years ago, uh, actually after I was at a, at a Christmas party where you know at that specialty company, um, I came to this party and a lot of the sales uh, field colleagues. Uh, from that specialty company that ended up being a failure, they told they, they told me, Tim, did you have this chief medical officer uh, fired? What happened? Because he left, he had left, you know, before I had. We were all basically breaking apart, you know, at, you know, because just like the best best bands of the world, like Beatles, uh-huh. uh, right? We we some of the best uh, teams or bands have to fall apart at one point. But what I said, no, I, I didn't. Why would I have fired him? I mean, the truth was I didn't shake this man's hand for about a year, but just because I didn't agree with what he stood for. 
right? Even though he was extremely educated, had a great background, great experience, but he didn't operate the company the way it needed to be, right? And he made important mistakes and just had an ego challenge, problem with the ego. You know, I wish nothing bad to him now, but what my response was that what happened? Why did you, why did you think that I would, I would fire him? And what they told me was, well, because he spoke, he spoke uh, to us, to the entire team. And he asked why it is, why it was that you posted this abstract, this poster, this late breaking abstract at a global on LinkedIn in front of others and whether or not you really did have any great relationships with physicians and one by one, apparently, what they told me is that they stood up and they sp- spoke behind my back to to defend me, to defend because they were confident in my intentions, in the intention that the intentions were for the benefit of the company. And so, when they told me that story, I I really I realized again uh, what I always suspected. Well, I always knew that I had and that ability to energize other people. Right. Regardless of the role. And that's what I want more people to do, essentially, Tom. Uh, And so I'm making waves. I believe in waves. Uh, Like you say in your podcast, I think waves are signals, signals that are impactful to our life. And they're different from noise. Noise, you don't know. Right. Noise, whether or not it's going to relate. But I want to make waves. I want to make signals that will be important to others, people, others in the pharmaceutical industry who may have been thinking before that, look, having a digital presence is a taboo. It's, it means that I'm going to look for a job or I'm not happy here. No, that's not true right now. And we need to be a little bit more adaptable. And I'm one of the few people, I think, within my industry right now, within the pharma, very regulated industry that is very active across digital media. Uh, on LinkedIn. So wh- and- why do you why do you think that is that so few people? I know some people who work in pharma and they barely have a LinkedIn profile, much less anything right. else. You're right. Why why is it that people don't put themselves out there in the industry? Well, I think a lot of the optics. See, optics is a word that's been around for a long time, and it's a word that I don't like to use much. Uh, where uh, you you don't have. And an understanding of of reality. You're disconnected from the customer, the patient. And uh, you know, I've spoken to coaches that are very well known, renowned coaches in the pharmaceutical industry. And I ask them, I ask him, what do you really uh, coach on? What what are some of the problems that you are called in to solve? And he tells me one of the biggest ones is the fact that the executives are disconnected from the management. And one of the reasons is. They don't always connect because because of what because of fear of what others may think in in the company, where some trade secrets that may be um, uh, that, that may be shared, right? You don't know how people are interpret uh, a communication policy. But what I've helped do, do in my current companies, I've helped them update update their social media communications. But I think the social media communications policies need to be uh, a little bit more detailed, more structured. Because you don't know at the end of the day what one employee is going to post, right? But you can set a little bit more rules around that, but still be effective. So I do, I do. I do some work in law firms and individually with lawyers, and it's the same thing. A right. lot of them have 
no visibility presence or no sort of like thought about what they're trying to do with their social media presence. And a lot of firms have, I just worked with a firm who had a social media policy that was written 10 years ago. And it was, I I laughed because I'm like, nothing that you talk about is even relevant, you know, two years later when it came to these tools, much less 10 years ago. So uh, I think that a lot of companies need to, uh, to, to reassess what they're doing in some of that area because it's beneficial to the company when when their employees are seen as thought leaders uh, in the industry, right? Yeah, yeah, and the thought leaders themselves are all over the media. They're, they're running their own podcasts. You know, I've gotten this podcast idea even from some thought leaders in GI and uh, some people who I've mentored. I mentor my mentees who, um, who do this, you know, a lot. And I often tell one of the ways that I was able to convince my current company to maybe update some of their social media perspectives and policies is I said that nowadays social media is no longer a presence that you may have, but it's an identity that you must have. It's an identity. If you don't have social media presence, you don't have an identity. People don't know about you as a company. And and, an and I find I go and look for people. Like if I've been referred to somebody, I tend to look at their LinkedIn. I go to their Facebook. I poke around their Twitter. And mm-hmm. I find it odd when there's nothing. It's like I, yeah. I, I want to have an insight into who the, the human being is, I guess, a little bit yeah. on, on the other yeah. side. So, Tim, as we wrap it up, I love to ask people who come on this show, when you look at the world of successful entrepreneurship, who do you admire? Who do you say in the business world, wow, she or he, they're the ones making waves? Simon Sinek. Simon Sinek is someone that has impacted me very much. Uh, he, You can think of him as, an, uh, as a philosopher, right, as an organizational management, um, psychologist, uh, or what have you, but nevertheless, he is on media and he is an entrepreneur and he allows many more entrepreneurs to update their view of the world. So, uh, people like him are someone that I, uh, respect a lot. Uh, you know, certainly Elon Musk, um, absolutely. Uh, he's made a lot of mistakes as well that we need to acknowledge. And I think that it's important, you know, leadership is a cycle, I think. Right. So as when I think that it's it's for me and on the way I define it on all our coach, it has just two stages. I simplify things at all our coach where you have the leadership foundation, which consists of your the personality you have, the intent that you have and the message that you convey. And many people, I think, spend many years and they never develop that foundation. And then you have the recognition, which is that leadership recognition. Uh, based on the delivery, your style, and the followers you have, right? So he has the followers, but it's it's all a cycle. You know, once you do, do, once you become a recognized leader, such as Elon Musk, for example, I think it's important for you to stay grounded and stay yourself, uh, stay your that person, the intent, having the intent for others, and then uh, discuss messages that are consistent with who you are as a person and with your intent. So, um, Tom, it's been a really, it's been a pleasure. I'm so glad that we met on LinkedIn. Well, thank you. I, Thanks I reviewed for reaching your out to podcast me. in great detail, your podcast and your YouTube channel. And I'm going to be sharing it with my friends, my colleagues, because I found it, ex- it truly insp- inspirational. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, thank, thank you, you so much. I'm so glad we connected via digital, I am too. You know, via social media, right? See, that, <laughs> it, it works. The, the, the social media world, if used properly, does work. So, Tim, if someone wants to get a hold of you, how do they find you? I would uh, tell them to email me, Tim at alloutcoach.com. Awesome. Let's set up a, a, you know, a discussion one-on-one. It can be 15 minutes, 30 minutes. I would love to help your organization 
develop itself, become more successful, more productive, develop uh, metrics that will be relevant and that will uh, modify your future behavior, not only report the past activity. And then also individuals. If you're an individual that wants to grow, I have that time that I would love to uh, devote to to your needs. And And if you speak Georgian, now you got somebody to talk to. So there you go. Because that probably doesn't come up a lot around here. Right. So. It's actually a country, one quick trivial qu- fact, uh, fact. It's the birthplace of wine. And uh, so I know I'm going to have many people who are going to argue with that, but it's in the Guinness Book of World Records, oldest wine drinking uh, vessels and largest biodiversity of grapes. So you can look that up, guys. I, I did not know that Georgia was the, the birthplace of grapes. And by the way, for Americans who don't know geography, that is the Georgia that is in Eastern Europe, not the one that is uh, in the south of the United States. So yes. thank you. Thank you so much to uh, to Tim for joining us and having this conversation. For those of you who listened, I say it every time. If it wasn't for the audience, why would we even do this? The show's all about you. So if there's something you like, somebody you want to hear, you know a great guest who's making waves, reach out and let me know. Uh, in the meantime, go out there and make your own waves. Flex your entrepreneurial muscles. And while you're out doing it, have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.